You're listening to the Grow Your Own Food Podcast, a show dedicated to helping you grow fresh fruit, vegetables, and even grains in your own backyard. In every episode, you'll get growing tips, recipe inspiration, and more. Ready to get growing? Then let's jump in. Welcome to episode 64 of the Grow Your Own Food podcast. I'm your host, Jonna Smith, and today is part one of a two-part series that's all about building your own raised bed garden. So back when Mr. B agreed that we needed a raised bed garden because the soil in our backyard was so incredibly heavy with clay... We took a lot of things into consideration, mostly because Mr. B has an engineering background and he takes everything he builds into consideration. But I really, really think that a lot of the things that we ended up taking into consideration as part of our plan can really help a lot of people avoid some common mistakes when building a raised bed garden. So in part one, I'm going to be talking all about the three most common materials that you would use to build a raised bed garden. So their pros and cons, their expenses, and then I'm also going to be talking about how you can incorporate pest control into a raised bed garden. So that's what we're going to be covering today in episode one. In the next episode, we're going to be talking about how to plan your raised bed garden, kind of once you have made those choices about materials and pest control. So with that, we're going to jump into it. But first, a word from today's sponsor. So if you have problem soil, whether it's clay or sand or it's naturally too acidic or too alkaline and you really just, whether you've tried to incorporate a bunch of soil amendments and it's just not going as quickly or the way you'd like to or you just don't want to mess around with soil amendments, building raised beds is a great solution. That said, there is a lot to think about when it comes to planning them. So here's everything we took into account while planning my dream garden, a row of eight 4 by 8 DIY raised beds. So whether you had your first garden this year or, you know, you've had an in-ground garden the first few years and it just hasn't gone the way you'd like to and you're wanting to build a raised bed garden yourself, I hope all of this information helps you. The first thing we're going to talk about is the most common materials that people use when considering building a raised bed garden and the pros and cons of each of those materials. So we're going to be talking about wood and the various ins and outs. That's probably the most common raised bed garden material that people consider. We're going to be talking about concrete blocks and then we're going to be talking about corrugated metal. So we'll start off by talking about wood. And like I said, wood is usually the building material we think of first when we think about building raised beds. Why do we think about that first? Well, it's because it's what you see the most and because it has a variety of benefits, but it does have a few drawbacks. And we're gonna talk about all of both the pros and the cons of wood. So first of all, the pros. Wood is natural, it's light, and it's easy to transport. 
And it looks traditional. If you're into the traditional look or you're wanting to build a garden, that kind of keeps in mind the resale value of your home. That was primarily the reason that we went with wood when building our raised bed garden. So our current house is likely not our forever house. And we wanted to build something that, you know, when the new homeowner moved in, they didn't think it was like super modern or super rustic. It kind of fit in with the aesthetics of the neighborhood. The cons of wood. So wood does have some cons. Number one, wood rots. And some species, which we're going to talk about the different species, some species rot faster than others. Wood requires regular maintenance to extend its life, to keep it from rotting as quickly. So that is con number two. Number three, wood can get expensive depending on the size of garden that you're building, and then obviously depending on the wood species that you're using. Before we get into wood species, though, I want to talk about pressure-treated versus non-treated wood, because a lot of people think they can simply go to Home Depot or Lowe's and grab a bunch of 2x8s or 2x10s to build their DIY raised bed gardens. But just about any kind of lumber sold at a a big box hardware store is going to be what's called pressure treated. This keeps the lumber from rotting as quickly, which sounds great until you learn that various toxic chemicals are used in the process. In fact, up until 2003, the main chemical used to pressure treat wood was chromated copper arsenate. And if arsenate sounds a lot like arsenic, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what it was derived from it you know and yes it's a poison these days there are a lot less toxic chemicals used in pressure treating wood which is fantastic but you still probably don't want them in the soil you're using to grow your family's fruits and vegetables right not not great if you're going through the trouble of growing your own fruits and vegetables because you want to know what was in the soil that grew them and you know if you're into organic gardening and not using pesticides and herbicides making sure that there's no chemicals that leach into the soil from your lumber that then goes to feed your plants is probably important to you. Along these same lines, you shouldn't use old railroad ties for food gardens. Railroad ties are soaked in creosote, which is a chemical made by distilling tar that's used to keep the railroad ties for rotting. So it's kind of like that same process that pressure-treated lumber goes under. The purpose is to keep it from rotting. It's good for trains, train tracks, you know, because they're out there for decades at a time without needing to replace those railroad ties, but it's not great for your food garden. Also along those same lines, we don't really talk about it in the other material sections, so I'll talk about it here. Rubber tires, old rubber tires, are not good for food gardens either. They're going to slowly degrade and leach carcinogenic or other toxic chemical compounds into your soil. If you're just planting flowers in, like, some old tires, like, you can totally get away with that. But food plants, most horticulturalists wouldn't advise it. So... All of that to say, if you do go with lumber as your material to build your raised bed garden, I would recommend using untreated or what's called raw wood for your raised garden beds and coating them with a non-toxic sealant, which I'll talk a little bit about later in the maintenance section. So let's talk about wood species. 
Any type of wood will rot when left outside and exposed to rain and sun and heat and cold, but some types of wood will rot much slower than others. Some of them are just a lot more resistant to things like moisture and heat because of the conditions that the trees naturally grew in. So it's important to consider the species of wood you'd like to use if you're considering building your raised bed garden out of wood. So when we think about different wood species that are common and regularly found at lumber yards, a lot of people will go towards cedar. Cedar is actually what we chose to use in our raised bed garden for actually several different reasons. So one, it is probably the, I would say, second most rot-resistant type of lumber. Both eastern white and western red cedar are. They'll last about 10 years, um, cedar planks will, with a sealant. Um, So making sure that you maintain that lumber by applying sealant. It's also going to be I mean, it's going to get expensive depending on the size of raised bed garden you're building, but it is going to be less expensive than these other types of wood species that I'm going to mention here in a second. So it was kind of a a mix of those different reasons. One, rot resistance. Two, easy to find. And three, you know, relatively inexpensive compared to the other really rot resistant wood species. So those other rot resistant wood species that you you can purchase um, if they if you're able to find them at a lumber yard are going to be white oak. Um, a lot of people say they have fence posts made of white oak that are still sturdy after decades, but white oak is going to be really expensive. A lot of hardwood floors are made out of white oak, and if you think about like how expensive hardwood floors are to install, um, if you've ever done that, it yeah it gets expensive, and that's why. Cypress, old growth cypress specifically, is going to be very rot resistant uh, because of the growing conditions that, you know, of the tree that it comes from. It's going, old growth cypress is going to be more rot resistant than young cypress, but it's a lot more rare and therefore it's much more expensive and difficult to locate. And then similar to cypress, there's redwood and old growth redwood, which is more rot resistant than new redwood, but again, harder to find. So some of it's going to depend on geography, what kind of trees you have in your area. If you live in the Pacific Northwest, you know, redwood might be something that's really, really easy to come by and you might be able to come upon some old growth redwood. Um, for a lot of us, though, you know, cedar is probably going to be the lumber of choice. There are, of course, wood species that are categorized as extremely rot-resistant and even more rot-resistant than the wood species that I just talked about. Things like teak and ipe and mahogany, because those trees come from, you know, tropical rainforests where it's really damp and really hot. Um, So they're going to be naturally really rot-resistant. But these woods are incredibly expensive per linear foot. Um, And so these kinds of wood, they're more exotic kinds of wood, and they're meant for furniture building and other like woodworking and craftsmanship. They're not really meant for raised bed gardens. So like I said, we ended up going with untreated cedar that we found at a local lumber yard. We did not find any untreated or raw cedar at like our local 
Home Depot or our local Lowe's. It was something that we had to go to a lumber yard for, and it's very likely that you will need to do so as well, whether you're, you know, looking for cedar or white oak or redwood, that kind of thing. So sealants and waterproofing, no matter what wood species you get and how rot resistant it is, coating it with a water sealant will help it last even longer. If you can find a sealant that is UV protectant, even better. As far as toxicity goes, there are actually a number of water sealants on the market, and I have a link to one in the sister post for this episode, which you can find the link to the sister post in the show notes as always. There are a number of water-based sealants that are eco-friendly and or non-toxic, and you can feel confident about using them in your raised bed garden. And if you don't super feel comfortable about it, you know, you can always seal the outside of the raised bed that is exposed to the elements and choose not to seal the inside of the raised bed, you know, the side that faces the soil that you're going to grow your plants in. Sealant should, at the very least, be applied to the ends of cut boards. So if we go all the way back to episode two of this podcast, where I talked about plant science for total beginners, you know, if you listen to that episode, that a stem is basically made up of millions of microscopic straws that draw water up and send nutrients down while the plant is alive. And a tree is basically just a big plant. So a tree trunk is like a giant stem. And a piece of wood is essentially the same way. It's going to be made up of millions of those microscopic straws called the xylem and the phloem that, you know, draw water up from the roots and send nutrients down while the tree is alive. Even after the wood has been harvested, after the tree has been cut down and the lumber has been processed, those straws, that structure is still there. So the ends will suck up water much, much faster than the face of the board. So even if you're not wanting to apply, you know, any type of water sealant um, to the face of the boards because you're concerned about the any types of chemicals or anything like that leaching into the soil, you should at the very least seal the ends of the cut pieces of lumber just to help keep them from, you know, sucking up a lot of moisture at the ends. And because once moisture gets into boards, that's kind of, it starts to expand and contract with the passing of the seasons. And that is a lot of what causes lumber to rot. Sealant should ideally be applied, reapplied every year. So it should be applied, if you're going to apply it, it should be applied at the very outset, you know, as you're building and then reapplied every year. Depending on the size of your garden, this might be a big task. So it's important to keep that in mind because there are some water-based sealants that you can actually put into a sprayer and spray with like almost kind of like a garden sprayer type thing rather than painting it on. And that makes it a much, much faster process. It's definitely worth sealing your lumber. If you've invested a lot of money into the lumber for your garden, applying a sealant every year could be the difference between your boards lasting five years or 10 years, so twice as long. Also wanna make a note that 
you should kind of like every year check wood that's in direct contact with the ground for signs of infestation. So certain insects like termites and carpenter ants can destroy lumber much faster than the passing seasons. And if you find them, you'll need to contact a pest control specialist to try and get rid of them as soon as possible. So all of that about wood, right? That's a lot. These next two materials are a lot more simple. So the second one we have is concrete blocks. A lot of people are building raised bed gardens out of alternative materials and containers these days, which is really fun to see. Concrete blocks are one of them, otherwise known as cinder blocks. Concrete blocks can be an easy way to create raised bed gardens and depending on how big of a garden you're building, it can be cheaper than lumber, but there are some pros and cons. So pros, like I said, can be cheaper than lumber. Number two, they are really easy to find. You can pretty much find them at any big box hardware store, and it's not like lumber. You don't have to go to a special place to find, like, untreated cinder blocks, right? Um, You can just use the ones that are at the hardware store. Three, they're durable. They're not going to rot like lumber, and they're not going to rust. Of course, over time, you know... The with the freezing and the thawing and things like that, they might crumble over time. But we are talking years and years and years. So it's not something that you have to worry about in the short term. As far as cons go, number one, cinder blocks, concrete blocks, they're very heavy and you need a lot of them. So, you know, keep that in mind. If you're building your raised bed yourself, it's a lot to load those into a pickup truck Um, or onto a trailer and then unload them when you get home and then stack them, you know, build your raised beds out of them. That's a lot of effort. Number two, the second con, you can really only safely build with cinder blocks in a raised bed to two feet high without mortar. So I'm going to talk a little bit more in episode two of this series about kind of like planning the dimension of your raised bed, but For some of us, you know, you might want to build your raised beds more than two feet high. And you're really, you're not supposed to build more than two feet high without mortar with cinder blocks or concrete blocks because it's just not safe, right? You know, you could have a small child kind of like pull on themselves up on the side of it and and that concrete block could come falling back because it's not, they're not stuck together with mortar. Um, Same thing if you sat on it, you know, or if the pressure of the soil kind of pressing up against it could cause it to kind of like fall out on the sides. So it's just good not to build it up any taller than two feet. Obviously, that's going to cause the least amount of damage if it's they're not stacked up really high. And the third con is that concrete blocks or cinder blocks can leach lime into the soil. Lime is a natural mineral. It's non-toxic, but it can alter the soil's acidity. So over time, you might get soil that is more and more acidic and you end up having to add soil amendments to keep the soil's acidity from getting out of control and make it more alkaline. So that's it. That's all there is to talk about for cinder blocks. It's honestly, a, it's a pretty good option if you're really just building like a few raised beds. Next up would be corrugated metal. Corrugated or galvanized metal is another great option for raised beds. If you get a horse tank 
at like a tractor supply store, it's pretty much already made for you. You just have to put it in the yard and fill it with soil. Um, my mother-in-law, that's what she chose to do. And it looks really cute, actually. It kind of has like a little bit of a rustic-y farmyard look. And, and if you're into that, that can be really, really great. But just like anything else, corrugated metal or galvanized metal does have its pros and cons. So Number one, very affordable, especially if you're using sheets of corrugated metal screwed to posts to anchor them, kind of like a square rather than like an oval or round horse tank. Pro number two, it's not going to rust because it's galvanized, so it's going to last for decades. Number three, galvanized steel reflects heat, so soil won't get as hot in the summer. But this can also be a con because soil will be slower to warm in spring. So I don't know how much you want to really consider that a pro. It's kind of somewhere in the middle, right? So since it reflects heat, the soil won't get as hot. And you might end up having issues with that with really heat-loving or warm soil-loving plants like tomatoes and peppers. It might get so hot where you are that this is not a problem. But just in case, something to think about cons kind of in the solid con category for corrugated metal galvanized steel can change the ph of your soil so it's better to grow acid loving plants like blueberries in a separate container because a galvanized steel will make soil more alkaline over time again you can add soil amendments to kind of keep that ph level neutral so it's not as much of an issue but if you're growing something like blueberries that really love acidic soil you're better off not growing them in a galvanized container because that's something that you're going to have to watch for and manage on a constant basis Another con, and again, this isn't really necessarily a con if you're into this style, but, you know, galvanized, corrugated metal, galvanized metal can feel a little industrial or rustic style-wise. So if your neighborhood is kind of more on the traditional side and you're worried about, like, the resale value of your house, then it might not be the style that you want to put in your yard. But if you like that style, you're not worried about the resale value over your house, you know, this isn't a problem. And then obviously galvanized steel is is really light and you can take those beds apart and and or move that container really easily. Number three, con number three, that zinc coating can become brittle and flake off over time, which can eventually lead to rest. But also, like I said, that can take a really long time. Lastly, I want to talk about pest control and how you can integrate pest control into your raised bed garden, depending on which material that you're building with. Building raised beds can help a lot with pest problems, and it may not reduce them to the level where you don't have to worry about them at all anymore, but at the very least, might help you worry about them a lot less. So whether you've got gophers or groundhogs, rabbits, squirrels, chipmunks, deer, anything coming after your leafy greens, there's often a way to discourage them with raised beds, depending on you know what material you're using. So the nice thing about building a raised bed garden out of wood is that it's really easy to incorporate fencing into your raised bed garden layout. And 
I will kind of spoiler alert say that in the sister post for this episode, I actually have a lot of pictures of, you know, how we constructed our raised bed garden, kind of the month to month progress of it. And you can see that the raised beds are actually built into the fence. So the top end of the bed is just like the fence and that saved us a little bit of lumber and then also made the garden much more secure against both rabbits and deer. We do live in a suburban neighborhood, but we have this really strange, really kind of magical sort of woodland area next to our house that is just filled with deer. And sometimes we'll drive into the neighborhood and there will be a, a deer standing in the middle of the street and it'll run off back to its little pasture or whatever. But sometimes if we like leave the gate open or something like that, there's a chance that they could sneak in and, and you know, eat stuff out of the garden. So a fence, which we built the fence about five feet high, um, is going to help keep deer and, and rabbits out of the raised bed. A fence is obviously not going to keep out more acrobatic pests like squirrels, chipmunks, even raccoons. I mean, raccoons eat climb that fence like it's not a problem but no I've seen no evidence of rabbits or deer getting through that fence so if you're building with wood fencing and and working fencing into your plan can be a really great strategy that helps you save cost on lumber and help make your garden more secure the next thing I want to talk about is wire mesh. So wire mesh is something that you can use for pest control with both wood, galvanized metal, and concrete blocks to keep gophers, moles, and groundhogs from tunneling up under your raised beds. So essentially what you do is before you build in the walls of your you know, raised bed, whether you're using wood, concrete blocks, or galvanized steel, you would line the bottom of the bed with a sturdy, fine-gauge galvanized mesh, something that is rust-resistant. This is also called hardware cloth, if you're not familiar with it. Before putting up the walls, or even honestly after putting up the walls, you can do it too. You can cut it to size and lay it down in the bottom of the bed. The key is just to make sure you do it before adding the soil. A lot of people, you know, they put cardboard in the bottom of the raised beds, but if you've ever used cardboard as mulch, you know that cardboard breaks down in rots within a year or less, depending on how thick it is. And so it's not going to be a good long-term solution for keeping, you know, digging, burrowing pests out of your garden. And you could use plywood, you could use the bottom, you could use plywood to line the bottom of your raised bed. That's going to take a, even longer than cardboard to break down, but it's full of adhesives and chemicals in between the different layers of wood that are used to kind of sandwich it together that you probably don't want in your soil. So galvanized mesh, otherwise known as hardware cloth, wire mesh at the bottom of your raised beds, no matter what material you're using, is going to help keep it more secure from, from those tunneling pests. And then finally, row covers. You can use row covers with pretty much any one of these materials. The only way to keep squirrels and chipmunks from digging in your raised beds is to cover them. Floating row covers are a really great way to provide your plants with overhead growing space while keeping out pesky paws, plus a lot of bugs and beetles that would damage plants too. It's obviously not an option, you know, row covers aren't going to be an option for things like corn or things like squash that need 
pollination by bees because then those bees, those pollinators would not be able to get to them. But with things like broccoli or green beans or strawberries, any number of things really, um, row covers can be really, really helpful in keeping bugs and rodents off of your crops. And with raised beds, you can install various brackets for holding hoops in place while a row cover is needed. You can, you know, install hinges and things like that that allow you to sort of create almost like a an A-frame type thing over your bed. Um, if you're using wood, you know, you can screw those hinges in there and create sort of like a folding row cover that way. It's really, really cool. There are so many options. It might be a little more difficult, I will say, with concrete blocks to secure any sort of bracket, you know, to the outside of that. But it's it's not impossible. You know, if you're using concrete blocks, cinder blocks, they have those giant squares in them and you can sort of bury the ends of hoops and stick the ends of hoops into those squares in the concrete blocks um, and, and not take up soil room in your beds to hold those hoops in place while you have a floating row cover. So those are just some ideas of how you can incorporate pest control with the various materials that you might be considering building your raised beds out of. So that was a lot of information on materials and a little bit of information about pest control being integrated with those materials. Just a few extra things to think about if you're kind of weighing the pros and cons of the different materials. One might help you make a decision over the other. Like I said, we ended up going with cedar and apart from the maintenance and having to reapply sealant, which is always done in the fall when the weather gets you know, much cooler and much more bearable to be outside. That is a little bit of a pain in the butt, but I really love the look of it. It looks really nice. And you can see the pictures of what we did in the sister post for this episode. Like I said, in the next episode, I'm going to be going over how to plan your raised bed garden. So I'm going to be outlining exactly how we built ours. I'm going to be talking about the budget. So how much it costs to build all that stuff that you see in the pictures and the sister post. Again, I'll talk a little bit about the materials that we used, kind of the specifics around the dimensions of the lumber that we use so you can get an idea of what is the size of the beds how does that translate into the individual pieces of lumber I'm going to be talking about size of beds that you might want to consider and where you might want to like cut it back all sorts of things layout lining the paths how we got our soil all that really really good stuff in the next episode so you definitely don't want to miss it if you are thinking about building a raised bed garden. But that is all for today. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you guys in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Grow Your Own Food podcast. Visit beeandbasil.com for helpful how-to articles, images, and recipes.